The following is a Just Green production brought to you by the Might Be News Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Might Be Brews, episode 67, the podcast where we explore the people, places, and brews of the craft beer world. My name is John. With me, as always, Mr. Steve. How you doing tonight? Did you tell our guests ahead of time that we have a film crew following us? No. There's going to be a nine-hour documentary in about 40 <laughs> years coming out of this. It's going to be fabulous. <laughs> that, that's the thing to do. Yeah. So, yeah, we're, we're on it. the Beatles. Yeah, exactly. But I think I see Jackson back there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I usually have a bunch of stuff to say, like uh, I'm like ready to do sponsors and stuff. And well, it's been a while. We haven't been, we haven't recorded in a while. Yeah, Thompson Island was before, like a week before Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah. So it does a little bit out of practice, but you know, whatever. It is what it is. We've got some uh, very special guests today. Um, we've got Kelsey, the GM. From Exhibit A Brewing in Framing, how do you guys say it? Because everybody in Massachusetts, Framingham, Frami- Framingham, Framingham. Okay, yeah, just like it's spelled. All right, well, that's a first <laughs> for Massachusetts. Right, well Picture done. Framing. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, Matthew, the uh, head brewer and co-founder as well uh, from Exhibit A Brewing. Thank you guys so much for being here. We appreciate you guys. Where's my uh, my clap? There we go. There that's what I was looking for. We are out of practice. Um, let's crack a beer. I need to get a beer in me. I definitely, I already cracked it. That's why I'm a, a little bit ahead of you. Yeah, <laughs> good stuff. So, um, go ahead. We got first beer up. We got Exhibit A's Goody Two Shoes. They're uh, Kolsch. Kolsch style. Yeah. You know I like pour, a Kolsch. Pour it in the proper glass if you like. What do you, what do you call that glass? What's it called? Stanga. Stanga. Like the way that Stanga, S-T-A, like stranger, S-T-A. but without the T-R. S-T-A-N-G. Stanga. Stanga. Nice. Oh, that's delicious. Yeah. Literally means stick in German. So. <laughs> nice. That's a, uh, that's a beer I'm having more than one of. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So tell, tell us about, uh, about this Goody Two Shoes. Go for it, Kelsey. You're our yeah. in-house Cicero. <laughs> Yeah, well, Cicerone. Uh, well, we can uh, certainly. Yeah, I am a certified, uh, as my brother likes to call it, a, a chicharron. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, this is this is you know this beer is the heart and soul of our brewery. You know, this is what um, you know when we when we like to think of like who we are. Um, you know, from a beer standpoint, this is, this is it. This is. Uh, we actually can toot our horn a little bit here with this just got chosen as one of the top 50 beers um, for 2021 by Wine Enthusiast Magazine, came in at number 12. Um, so we're pretty psyched about that. Um, but yeah, it's uh, crisp, clean. You know, this is, uh, you know, it's still an ale, but drinks a lot like a lager, um, but has a little bit more of that complexity to it with a little bit of floral notes, um, you know, on the nose and um, you know, a little whiff of minerality. From that uh, authentic Kolsch yeast, we use uh, pretty much a lot of traditional ingredients: uh, Weyermann Pilsner malt. Um, uh, what, are we still using Hollertau? Um, yeah, we have uh, uh, Tetnanger. Tetnang. Tetnang's um, the the hop in this one. Yeah. And then uh, yeah, and a little bit of warthog wheat, which is a, a 
locally grown wheat um, that's malted in Hasley, Massachusetts. That uh, so we had add a little bit of local character to it, and uh, yeah, five week fermentation time um, just comes out delicious. This is going down way too easy. I'm I'm about to take more, but I think we should have some more. <laughs> I will do that. And, and I'm like 800 degrees right now, and um, so and this is very cold, so I'm really liking it. Yeah, yeah, that's that's going down nice. Yeah, nice and easy. I do want it to warm up a little bit and get a little see if I can get a little bit more uh character out of it, but still, I mean, it's it's a fantastic coach. I mean, I just this this kind of style is just so nice to drink, especially when I'm you're as hot as I am right now. They're they're the kind of style that makes you want to have another sip. And yeah. There's so many beers out there where I'm going to get all deep real early in the podcast here. I'm only half a beer in. There's so many beers out there that are now just designed to pack you, punch you, and just push you into submission with so many different flavors and things coming over the top. Like, I want a clean beer, and I just want it to be good sometimes. And this is what I've been craving these last, I don't know, six months, eight months. Just where, yeah, I mean, I'm, Kelsey, just where I'm at. Kelsey mentioned that it is the heart and soul of our brewery. I think part of that is, you know, using the scales as a logo, it is about balance. And I think it was really important for us when we first started brewing this beer to be an authentic tribute to the style, to the place, to the culture. But also, you know, this is an American brewed Kolsch style beer. Um, we've got our own stamp in that, of course. But uh, but I like to think of it as the second best Kolsch in the world. You know, Reisdorf, it's pretty, pretty great. So, <laughs> yeah. you know. Didn't we have a higher ranking uh, than Reisdorf on I Beer Advocate for a while? I, I, do, I do believe we have a higher ranking on yeah. both Beer Advocate and Untapped. I think, oh. we should do a, I think we should do a blind Kolsch tasting. Yeah? Yeah. That'd be a lot of fun. That'd be a lot of fun because it'd be tough. To do what? To I mean, I don't know if I'd be able to pick anything out, but just, like, it might be fun just to like put them six in front of them of and, and rank them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah which one do you like the most? Yeah. That'd be a lot of yeah, fun. Even with German ones, I mean, it, it, you, there's quite a difference. Like uh, Fruit Kolsch. You know, it's a, it's a little darker, um, you know, when you compare it to other ones that, you know, it's got, uh, you know, it's a little bit, uh, Gaffel has a little bit more sweetness to it. And yeah, not quite um, as dry. Yeah. Yeah. And Zuner, um, yeah, Zuner is actually one of my favorites. Um, that one just is super clean and crisp and, um, there was, and like they would only release it here once a year. So it was yeah, it's hard to get. Sense. Yeah. It was hard. Yeah. To find. Yeah. So when you guys were talking about the logo a little bit, you've got your, <laughs> Your scales there, obviously, it leans a little bit towards the justice, I guess, kind of motif and the exhibit A. Is that something you guys were going for? Uh, Yeah, I mean, we, you know, I tend to think of us being, you know, uh, making balanced beers with people that are a little out of balance. (laughs) You know, I mean, it's it's we've gone through some a lot of thoughts about that story, Kelsey. I mean, Kelsey designed the logo, so. He might be able to answer that a little better than me, but yeah, I think at the beginning yeah. of the podcast, I was going to ask, like, all right, who's the lawyer? Yeah, <laughs> no, that, none of us. <laughs> that is our number one asked question, and like in the tap room, it's like, yeah. where'd the logo? Where'd the logo name, name from? We're like, or were you a bunch of lawyers? Yeah, uh-huh. right, right. Uh, yeah, no, it's it kind of came. I mean, the name itself kind of came from the idea that, um, you know, when like especially like the, you know now like in retail you look at like all your beers on a shelf you know it's a, it's almost like an art exhibit and uh you're but the that product that's out there uh you're always on display so um so it's kind of you know so it's it's an exhibit of what you're doing and who you are um and it kind of comes you know kind of comes around from that idea and then the scales come from you know balance balance in life balance in beer 
um, balancing malt and hops or sweetness and bitterness. Um, and yeah, where, where I take it from, because I'm, you know, I do a lot of the marketing for the company and, um, and I came from the retail side before, uh, working in production on the production side. So for me, it was all, always about the story. Like, what's the story that you can tell with the beer? If I got a story, um, behind a beer, whether it's, you know, like a trip that I made to the brewery or somebody I met from there, um, I could sell that beer in a liquor store all day long. Um, but you know, so having a good story behind the beer, you know, is, is going to make that beer taste better. If you have a, a, a relationship with it, um, you know, I always remembered like this woman would come into, uh, the store where I was working, uh, and she came in one time and she goes, so I just had a beer. Um, it was in a blue can. Um, <laughs> I don't remember the name of it, but I was on a boat with my friends, um, off the Cape. And like the sun was setting, we were drinking this beer and it was like, it was really the best beer I've ever had. Uh, and I'm like, yeah, so, so you're on a boat, uh, you know, watching the sunset off the coast of the Cape. And, um, you know, and that's what made the beer great. You know, yeah. I don't even remember what the name of the beer was that once we found it, but I remember it, it wasn't that great. You know, it was like, oh, it was a fine beer, but, but it was the story. It was the experience that really made it. So for me, it was always like the, uh, having that starting point you know, is, is going to make the difference. So if the great experience starts with exhibit A, you know, that's the beginning of the story. Um, you know, the, the, the beginning exhibit. So you should totally change that story to it being a Bud Light. Yeah. <laughs> to really hammer yeah. home the point that it was the experience. Yeah. It wasn't the beer it was that was Light. good. It was the experience. I, I want to say it was Cisco whale pale, the whales, whales tail pale ale, but, um, but I don't remember. I, that, that, that's the blue can I remember. I think I've had that. Yeah. I think that I know what beer. Is that a thong <laughs> reference? <laughs> the whale tail? I don't whale know. Thong song? I don't know. Cisco Brewers. No, it's yeah. the it's the They're on the island, so yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're on Nantucket. So I'm super excited we got connected. Um, it's, you know, I, I'm definitely familiar with you guys and I actually had to look it up. I went through my Instagram and uh, I had my first cat's meow on December eleventh, two thousand eighteen. So uh, I think I had made a trip nice. to the Massachusetts area and had found it um, probably, I don't know if it was like on a shelf somewhere, you know, something like that. Um, I know like for a while there, I was just like trying to, I was like going to Massachusetts and I would find like a Whole Foods or something nearby and I'd go grab like some beer to take back to the hotel when I was there for work. But um, so I, I actually posted on there that it was like one of my favorite um, Massachusetts beers that I had had, and, and my wife uh, had agreed with me. So um, I was like, you know, when I'm flipping through and looking at it, I was like, man, I was like really, really excited about this beer. But um, I also, you know, because you guys are new guests, we always do this with new guests. Um, I want to ask you guys about your first Gateway craft beer. So like if you have that memory of that beer that maybe changed your mind about what beer was uh, that maybe got you into brewing or, um, you know, kind of maybe just got you into the, uh, the whole, you know, industry itself, maybe. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I can, I'll go first. Um, I think I, I, I kind of love this question and hate this question because <laughs> I, I can answer it in so many different ways. And Kelsey knows this, that I can have like 15 different answers for the same question and still be giving you an honest experience of that, sure. of that answer. Um, I started home brewing in 1995. And in those days, you know, there was some good craft beer. There wasn't a ton. Um, but before that, I 
learned about craft beer by going to dead shows. And in 1991, um, when I was seeing those early shows in my, in my live grateful dead career, I guess, um, it was Molson golden of all beers that like got us excited. I think it was a combination of like, it's Canada that seemed fancy. And, (laughs) and it was like, it was premium, you know, it wasn't Heineken, which I wasn't into Heineken, but my brothers, uh, Jason and Dan were into Molson's. So I drank Molson's, but after that, that, after that summer, I went to UMass and I found this store called the spirit house, which is still there. And it's a great shop. And they had all the beers and like you could you could mix and match six packs of Catamount and Long Trail and Sam Adams and Harpoon and various other uh, beers that were from the, you know, local beers. And at the time, it was like four ninety nine a six pack, which, you know, twenty dollar case of beer was kind of a premium. Like it was, Mm -hmm. wow, we're spending on this like we could get (laughs) Lion's Head for you know 7.99 a case of bar bottles you know and every other one was weird and every other one was terrible but so it was it was those beers it was catamount amber stovepipe porter long trail ale i guess is what they called it back then um and uh they got us into better beers and never looked back and then i moved to the west i moved west to arizona and i was able to get you know Anchor Liberty Ale, Sierra Pale Ale, of course, which is, you know, that you could say Sierra Pale Ale and just be done with it. Um, but those are, <laughs> you know, those West Coast beers like Anchor, Sierra, um, and, uh, you know, a handful of others were what we could get in Arizona, which at the time in Flagstaff, it was like a dead zone of good beer. And I get there and I see a homebrew shop a block from my house. And I'm like, oh, I don't even need to buy anchor liberty kegs for 79 dollars a half barrel or 50 liter i can just go and make my own beer and so i went right from drinking these what i consider to be the best beer um you know like like i said catamount amber and and i think stovepipe porter were the two that struck me in those days um and i just wanted to make those type of beers so you know that it, it hooked me right away you know, I was excited about it. And we would like think of beers as like a little bit of a trophy. Like, Oh, this, I got, I got the long trail double bag. You're like, Oh, <laughs> no, it was six ninety nine of a, a six pack. Yeah. <laughs> Super expensive. It's wild. So, how times yeah. have changed, right? Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. How about you, Kelsey? Um, yeah, I think it was, I would have to say it was either harpoon IPA. Um, just cause you know, it was uh, living with a bunch of guys and an apartment and, uh, you know, just north of Boston. And um, so we'd kind of go to the liquor store and be like, hey, you know, what, what, what's over here? What's over that there? And uh, so we drank a lot of Harpoon IPA and um, and Pete's Wicked Ale, I think was one of them too. Um, you know, and that one was like, it's dark, you know, <laughs> it's, like a, it, it's not, it's not a, uh, you know, it's not a light lager, you know, it's, it's dark colored and we're like, wow, flavor. Um, but uh, yeah, I remember Harpoon IPA too being like, like, oh man, it's like so bitter. It's like so hoppy. And, uh, and now that you have one, you're like, yeah, we're, are there hops in here? <laughs> you know? Right. Um, but uh, that's funny. Cause Pete's Wicked Ale is the first legal keg of beer I ever purchased. On my nice. <laughs> yeah. We, we, yeah definitely, so, we definitely had some Pete's Wicked nights. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. so <laughs> like, like a 95, 96 range. Yeah. Pete's Wicked mm-hmm. was a special one. And uh, or J and W Dundee Honey Brown. That was another like. Oh, yeah, we're getting yeah. something different. 
It took yeah. me a long time before I started buying kegs. I mean, because, you know, I kind of came up in a little bit of a different era, but, you know, everybody was, was bottling and canning and things. And, um, but it took me a while before I actually bought a keg. I don't know if I've ever purchased a keg myself. Yeah. You, hmm. Well, you know, it was actually before I really got into craft beer, though, because, like, when, when I first discovered I liked beer at all, you know, I was drinking Summer Shandies and Blue Moons. And um, and then I remember getting a kegerator and getting a blue moon, getting a shock top. There you go. You know, and, and getting <laughs> yeah. that stuff. And then, um, you know. I definitely remember getting a party ball. I forget. Who, oh, who, yeah. Who, who oh, made the yeah. party ball? Killian's. Killian's. Yeah, party ball. I remember, remember we looked that up recently. I was like, yeah. what is that? It's like just a, <laughs> a ball of beer. We, we blended them with homebrew that we couldn't get to carbonate. <laughs> so like, this, nice. like kind of like Killian slash homebrew thing. <laughs> That's a great idea. Hey, like in lieu of like the can shortage, we should all just like start packaging in party balls. Oh my god! <laughs> so uh, speaking not, of homebrewing, if you got you know, tell us about the history leading up to opening a brewery. You know, when when you're homebrewing, when do you realize that you can make that jump and what other jobs did you guys hold, um, you know, that got you to, to the point of being able to open up your own place? Um, I mean, that's a 23-year story for me. But uh, <laughs> so I started homebrewing, like I said, in 95. And I moved flag. And it was I was living in Amherst in 93. And a friend of mine was homebrewing, this kid, Eric Shuddy, who, who had made beer with his dad. So he blew up some carboys in his living room in Amherst and I was cleaning a corny keg in his shower with my roommate Ward and like, we we're just like <laughs> figuring it out, you know, yeah, nice. like we didn't have a great setup in those days. But, um, and then I, I was homebrewing 10 gallons a week, uh, when I was in Flagstaff, uh, for about a year and a half, um, straight, just like every week I was brewing more beer and like, you know, I had a lot of friends cause I needed to get rid of it. Um, and then I decided I wanted to be in the beer business. I just decided, like, I think I can do this. My father, uh, at, at the time, uh, was building and expanding his business, which is auto service. Um, and, uh, I, and he was like, you're nuts. Uh, you have a great opportunity <laughs> right? here. You're just graduating college with a, a small business management degree. Why don't you come and help me run this business? And I just kind of stuck to my guns and said, I want to try to get a job in the beer business. And I did successfully do that. Um, my first job was working at like a brew on premise in Denver, where I would bring you, you know, you would come in with your buddies and make some beer. Um, they bounced a couple paychecks. So I had to get out of there and move, <laughs> move back to Massachusetts and worked at Harpoon. Wait, I don't, uh, I don't mean to interrupt you there, but like, yeah. So John and I would go to your place and like say, I want to brew a batch of IPA. Yeah. And you'd yeah. hook it up. Yeah, we had like a book of recipes, you know, and you could make a batch of beer and two weeks later you'd come back and put it into into twenty two ounce uh bottles and you'd get six cases roughly out of a batch of beer. That's and, not yeah, a bad idea. Yeah. That's such an interesting business model. It, ex it exists still. It there's a few brew on premise that left in the world. <laughs> not many. But there's definitely, I mean, there's two here in Massachusetts, I think, that still mm -hmm. operate. I could come um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's a concept. It's not one that I think really, you know, breeds massive success. But I think there is some success in it. Sure. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. Jeez. I mean, you know, how much work are you putting in to, to sell like, you know, 
a little bit of beer. It's kind of almost yeah. like a, a lot, you know, a when, when you're but doing it's a premium to do it, you know, it's a, it's, it's like a night out with you and your friends. Uh, yeah. And like I was, I was almost like a paint, uh, the wine, the wine and painting place. Yeah. Yeah. Plate yeah kind of things. I don't know why the way I went was, um, you know, like if you're thinking about being a pilot, you can do like that introductory mm-hmm. lesson where like, you know, you go up with a pilot yeah. and they kind of show you how to operate a plane to see if you want to start taking lessons. Like it's almost like a, Hey, I've been thinking about homebrewing, but I don't even know where to start. You know, that kind of thing. Yep. It, could, it could kind of be that angle too, I, I think, but. Or, or people that wow. want a homebrew, but just don't have the setup yeah. to do it at the house or just don't have a good kitchen for it. Or, you know, their partner, husband or wife doesn't want them doing it in the house for whatever reasons. Uh, we had a lot of reasons why people would show up, but, um, yeah, I left there, started working at Harpoon, um, left Harpoon, worked at a brew pub in Cambridge called John Harvard's, which uh, I was there for three years as the assistant brewer. And I just kept at it. I wanted to continue to become a head brewer and eventually open my own place. Um, so that was 1999, uh, which then I guess 17 years later, I finally opened up my own place, uh, you know, um, but other jobs in between, I was a head brewer for a brew pub on Martha's Vineyard called Offshore Ale. Uh, I started my own brand called Blatant Beer. Uh, that was a contracted beer. Um, after, uh, after offshore, or, yeah, after offshore, I worked and I was the head brewer and first hire at Mayflower Brewing Company in Plymouth and was there for three and a half years. Uh, and they're still kicking butt and it's their their porter is one that i get asked about a lot still like oh i love that porter um so yeah you know i've worked with a lot of great people i spent a lot of time learning and forgetting and then trying to relearn um <laughs> that's a heck and, of a resume man that you know you've been around the country and and a lot of different breweries and i'm sure there was a a lot of things learned yeah yeah certainly i mean i i've had a blast doing it i i can't even consider you know people are like you know what's next and i'm like this is it this is a i really don't want to go anywhere else (laughs) (laughs) and um you know couldn't be more satisfied and proud of what we've built Um, kelsey being our first hire and uh you know kind of you know of the six five people that are still originals four uh actually three 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 originals yeah 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 Yeah. you you mean madam yeah, yeah, and Kevin, but he came like a little, little longer yeah, later. So before but, we uh, get into the the brewery opening, um, you want to give me a little bit of a background, Kelsey, what you did leading up to this, and then we'll kind of talk about how you guys came together to to get the brewery up and running. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I have never brewed a drop of beer, and <laughs> uh, and Matthew probably wants to keep it that way. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I I I went to college for film. I was. Uh, for filmmaking, um, out of college, I worked um, in the film industry for a little while. Then uh, I became a video producer and, and editor, and did that for a long time. And that's kind of where I uh, built up the, you know, my photography skills, my graphic design skills. Um, I built a lot of websites and did print print materials and a lot of marketing stuff. Um, and uh, I, I got kind of uh, burnt out on that industry and wanted to do something that I, I had a little bit more passion for. And instead of doing like corporate video and stuff. Sure. Um, so uh, the craft beer scene in Massachusetts was kind of just kicking off at that time. And um, I got to, you know, 
know some of the the early brewers that were opening up and um, i'm like this is a really cool industry this is something i want to be i would like to be involved in yeah. um so there was a uh uh two women who um uh, are still in the business they opened a store in belmont called uh, craft beer cellar and uh with this kind of crazy idea that they're just going to focus on craft beer as a as a liquor store concept um and uh which was novel at the time like nobody would do this um <laughs> and uh and, and i they were about to open our second store and uh they're looking for people to kind of help open it so i put my name and i said hey this sounds like something i i can do that's something that i think i can help you out with and um so i helped open that store then they moved me onto the brand team um and i helped them open 26 more stores across the country and uh, and that's kind of where I got to know a lot more people in the industry, where I got to know Matthew as well. Uh, so when Matthew was kind of looked, uh, had this secret project that he was working on, he's looking <laughs> to find some people uh, to help him out with it. I'm like, I'm interested. Let's talk. Um, and uh, he made the mistake of hiring me. And now I'm hiring <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness. Yeah. Thank goodness. I, I always... Uh wished that I had gone, I don't know, maybe that's not the right way to say it, but uh, I really wanted to do film and things like that. Like I was doing it in school and I mm -hmm. loved it. And, uh, but I just did, I had like no drive at all. You know what I mean? I like, if I, when I look back on it, I'm like, I was so good at it and it was so easy for me. And I wish I would have like actually put some attention into like training or learning more and more schooling. Cause, uh, I don't know. I had so much fun with it. I always wished that I had done that or, or like tried to, you know, expand on it a little bit more, but, but yeah, I don't know. Now we're all here in the beer industry, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting that you should say that. And I love that Kelsey comes from that because years ago, my sister is a filmmaker and my stepsister, Sarah and her father, Bob, uh, are both filmmakers. And I was, we were sitting in Bob's studio and I love this story, but years ago. And he, he said, like, think about beer making and filmmaking is they're very similar in a lot of ways. And, what he and he's kind of this, you know, you know, he's very feeling kind of guy. And he, and he said, you know, you take all this raw material, this footage, yep. this grain and hops that have no real reason to be together. And this footage doesn't really seem to fit together. But then you take it and you form it into this one cohesive thing. And that's how filmmaking and beer making are actually so similar is that this raw material to create something that's that's it's that's one. Yeah. Um, that's combined uh, is is a thing, and so it's it, we always talk about how filmmaking. He, like he said, filmmaking and beer making is just it's the same. It's actually the same. Yeah, that's a good perspective. I like that. It makes <laughs> yeah, a lot of sense. And you're, and you're making something that you know where the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Absolutely. Know? Like yeah. Like if you just like shoved some malt, water, yeast, and hops in your mouth, it's not going to be beer. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, you gotta yeah. you gotta have some forethought to make sure you're getting good raw material, or that you know you've got a good recipe. But then when you're yep. actually, you know, editing it, putting it all together, putting a soundtrack to it, right? Double dry yeah. hopping. Double whatever, dry hopping. You know, there we go. And you're, and you're still telling stories. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, right? <laughs> yeah, that's kind of like our goal with this, right? We always think that, like, like you guys were saying earlier, there's a story to be told. And when you have the story behind it, you have the experience. It makes the, the brand and the beer so much more enjoyable. You know, when you can hear about what people put into it and, you know, blood, sweat, and tears, years and years of grinding and doing all these things to finally open up their shop. And then they finally have a place and they've got this fantastic beer that's, you know, winning awards and, and all these things. And for people to get to know that story, I think it becomes more than just a can on the shelf. 
you know what I mean? Or yeah. another brewery. I mean, we there. find that. Yeah. Our our guests that come into the tap room love that. I mean, they're they've become our friends and our regulars and um the people that we can count on to like be there when we release a new beer. They care deeply about that story. They're part of that story, you know. And yeah, I think sure. that you know, people ask, like, what's your favorite beer? Like, it's it's what what am I doing? What who's there with me? That's that's how I answer that question. Like is it winter and I'm sitting by a fire pit? Well, it may not be Kolsch that day, you know? Sure. It may not be Goody Touches. It may be Sunday paper or whatever. And so I, or Porter. And and I do feel that there's, uh, there's something about that. It's that, you know, we talk, Kelsey talks a lot about that, the experience and how the liquid is so important, but without the experience being the, the, the thing that brings us together, then the beer is just kind of just a liquid thing that we, kind of enjoy yeah well i'm we just cracked open the uh the cat's meow and i want to talk about this a little bit because oh um, and there's my cat sophie right over there (laughs) (laughs) is that sophie's tail on the can no that is not sophie's tail um but uh i did yeah i'm I'm on the wrong side of the i must be on the back side of the can yeah yeah. (laughs) two sides of every story yeah there's the face nice yeah so I'm trying to, you know, I'm, I'm trying to remember the first time I saw this, if, you know, trying to remember, am I, was I attracted to the can? Was there not a lot of other New England IPAs on the shelf, you know, or, or what was going on? But, um, man, I love this beer. Um, and it, just the, the aroma, like the nose right off the bat, it was so tropical and, and so much juice just before even tasting it. You know, I was like so excited to, to sip this beer and I love it. And like... I think I can easily say that, you know, your guys area, right? I, at least from, for us, from our perspective, being in Southeastern Pennsylvania, that the, uh, the Boston area, Southeastern, um, Massachusetts is a great beer market, especially, you know, for that, you know, you got, at least I feel like you guys are really known for your new England IPAs. Like that's kind of where it came out of like Vermont and, 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 uh, Maine and, New Hampshire, Massa- yeah, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, you know, that whole area, but the whole New England area. Yeah. The New England area. Exactly. <laughs> but, uh, you know, but I think about some of those, <laughs> I think about some of those breweries there and, um, and this, I feel like just is as good, if not better. It's such a fantastic beer. It's a really good representation of the style. Like it gives you, like, if you say new England IPA, this is the kind of beer you want to think of. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't smack you over the top with anything. It's 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 got the cloudiness. It's got the juiciness. It's got a little bit of everything to 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 you know tickle your fancy if you're looking for the New England IPA. Yeah, I like the hops, and I like that um, there's a, like a bitterness and hop that lingers. So yeah. you know, I get all those great flavors, and of course, like you guys keep saying, and and I feel like I wear the word out. It's balanced. It's incredibly balanced. It's got that hoppiness. It's got that juiciness, that malt, everything, you know, it's, it's a full body, right? And, and there's nothing missing from it at all. But I, I really enjoy that. I'm just getting like a, a nice, um, you know, subtly bitter hop that just lingers for a little bit. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's deliberate. I, I think that, you know, a lot of people put the new England IPA in this, uh, you know, it's gotta be soft. It's gotta be low, low bitterness. It's gotta have the juice character. It's gotta be hazy. Um, for us, like 
I miss bitterness in IPAs. I want a little bit of bitterness. I feel like without it, like we have a pretty substantial malt backbone in our beers. We care deeply for the malt. We could talk about malt all night as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> um, and I will, if you, if you don't stop me, but um, there's a lot of malt in this beer and it's, and, and we, we are, we really focus on the malt with, I'm wearing the Valley malt shirt right here. Nice. And so we, Without that bitterness, the beer will be too sweet. It will be uh, probably sticky and uh, because it's not super, super dry. Um, but I think the balance that we deliver with the, the, you know, a gentle bitterness into the kettle, a fairly aggressive Whirlpool addition, and then an absurdly aggressive dry hopping um, is what make it, it, it makes it balanced enough that we still get some of that bitterness. I think both from the IBUs that we're getting from those additions in the hot side, but we're also getting a little bit of mouthfeel bitterness from the dry hopping. Yeah. You know, it's, it's in there. I mean, there's, you know, we're, I, I, it's funny cause I, I, I'm fresh off of listening to the Thompson Island uh, <laughs> uh, podcast that you guys did just cause I wanted to hear your voices and see what your, your, what you guys were like. And I really liked what he had to say about like, you know, he had like a beer that was like 1.9, bitter you know ibus or whatever um but he also makes a his flagship sounds like it's a classic kind of west coast style um ipa and i i think one of the things that i wanted out of this beer was to be somewhere not necessarily in the middle but it's it is a new england ipa i wanted that you know it's got el dorado and citra and mosaic um in the you know in in throughout the process and uh without that bravo addition which is that the bitterness that we get um bravo hops uh in the kettle which we get from roy farms uh big shout out to those guys they grow some amazing hops that's really where that thing that you're talking about that linger that's where that's coming from and that's like a pound a pound and a half for 15 minutes in the kettle it's not even a big you know it's not a huge addition whereas we're putting you know to 176 pounds in the dry hops or whatever. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it might even be more than that. I don't even know. I, but, I might be wrong, but like when I think about New England IPAs, um, you know, does does it go back as far as, as uh, Hattie Topper? See, you know, because that's like almost that, that palate crusher that to, we always talk about. The, to me, the I don't record. think of Hattie Topper as a New England IPA, though. No? It's, a new, it's an yeah. IPA from New England. Because it's like super, uh, super aggressively hopped, and, and it is a little hazy, but like it doesn't have the softness that these kind of beers, I think, have. Yeah, I agree, but yeah. that, that's what I'm saying is, I wonder if there's been an evolution in, in the New England IPA where, you know, a lot of people in the area maybe were trying to, you know, um, you know, emulate things like Hetty Topper or or start to to know that that style was starting to get appreciated, and you know, incredibly aggressively hopped, but then people started making it less and you know more and more soft less ibus even though there are a shit ton of hops um yeah you know and and also more hazy like i mean you know and we can talk about there there's you know two obvious breweries that we can talk about that kind of have cornered that hazy market mm-hmm. uh, with trillium and treehouse and you know they're 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 friends of ours we 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 all of us kind of know a bunch of people from all those bre- from those breweries. Um, one of the thing that I one of the things that I think happened was that all of a sudden Hetty became this like synonymous as the New England IPA, and yeah, it's I mean you buy Hetty you buy Hetty now and it is not very hazy. 
Um, it's crispy and bright on the palate, and it's uh, it's pretty bitter. Um, it is very well balanced. I, I actually haven't had a heady probably in over a year, but um, right. but I but you know my palate recollection of that particular beer is that it is not within this juicy hazy IPA style, and I, I and I think that John Kimmick would be the first to tell you that that's not what he's going for, you know, yeah. with that beer. I mean, they were making that beer ten years ago. 12 or 13 years ago, way before any of this was going on. Sure. And uh, obviously it being an 8% kind of crusher, uh, you know, and I, 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 yeah, I don't know. I think that, uh, you know, breweries like Trillium and Treehouse have done a really good job of presenting the style um, as a, you know, kind of, this is what we do um, among other things, but this is kind of what we focus on. And then a lot of other breweries like us, like we're a portfolio brewery. We have, um, more non IPAs than we have IPAs, you know, um, certainly. And so, I mean, our menu right now is pretty hop heavy, I think. Yeah. (laughs) But But I think, I think too, that, you know, what the New England style IPA has done, especially in our market, but, um, you know, I can't speak for necessarily for other markets, but, um, it really has been that gateway beer for a lot of people. Um, you know, like they, uh, you know, uh, we we would have people come into the tap room, you know, and be like, "Oh, I don't like IPAs." And my first question is, "When was the last time you had one?" Um, you know, if it was five years ago, six years ago, um, you know, it could be very different from what what you what you may remember. Um, and I think a lot of people are just picking up on that juiciness, the soft mouth feel, the light bitterness, um, you know, and really enjoying that. Um, whereas you know, the West Coast style IPA, you know, you really need you know, like as as creatures, you know, we're, uh, we're biologically programmed to not like bitter. Bitter is generally poison. Um, so, uh, so you know, we, uh, if something's bitter, we generally, you know, are trained to like, not like that. But, uh, so I think there's a natural kind of reaction to super hoppy, super bitter beers, but the New England style IPA kind of turned it around and said, oh, here's this thing that's kind of like orange juice. You like orange juice, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, yes, and, it, and it, it really, I think, resonated with people. And there's, you know, now there's a whole, you know, fleet of, you know, craft beer drinkers who really just only drink New England style IPAs, you know, and um, yeah, we see it all the time out here. It's like, oh, I'll, all I drink is Treehouse. You know, it's like, okay, well, you know, why don't you try one of ours? Yeah. There's, um, there's other beers to be. Yeah, there's, there's other beers. For yeah. sure. So uh, I, I think it get... also gets a little boring, too, if you're if you're uh, drinking the same style all the time. For sure. Or worse, the same yeah. brewery all the time. I want to get to Doug quick while he's watching. Um, are you distributing in PA? Do you guys? I don't think you guys we, have it. No. no, we don't distribute, but shipping. we uh, but we are uh, licensed to ship direct to consumer in pennsylvania so you can we'll ship uh, you fresh four packs right from the brewery straight yeah, to your door and go right on our website fast. to the merch store and there's a beer category and you can uh, order beer right from there my order came incredibly fast uh i couldn't believe how quick it showed up and how'd you uh, like that box too, i the love box, the box right? i took a yeah, picture the of the box and sent it to my beer friends like look at this box i <laughs> yeah. swear to god <laughs> it, it, it. Yeah, it's like what? Yeah, in the in the beer beer nerd chat, I was like, guys, look at this box. This is a you know, it was impressive. <laughs> yeah, so, that's a Ro- Romano container out of uh, out of Westwood um, or Norwood. Where are they? Yeah, Westwood. Uh, yeah, Westwood. Yeah, they uh, actually his son owns a brewery here in Massachusetts called Castle Island, uh, Dick Romano, and he decided he wanted to be in the 
beer business and he sells cardboard to basically everybody in the area. <laughs> That's uh, awesome. And and cat's meow is, I, I know for a fact that cat's meow is his favorite beer. So oh, that's nice. Same. I've got a, I've got a typo. He just doesn't tell Adam that. <laughs> I've got a Adam typo, knows. but at the bottom yeah, there, exactly. order beer from our guest, exhibitabrewing.com. Exhibit-a-brewing.com. Yes. You guys can click order uh, in the top right corner and uh, yep. get yourself we'll three, four you tomorrow. Did you put dot? No, I put uh, <laughs> out instead of our. Uh. A T instead Go. of an R. <laughs> it's out on the internet forever. Uh, you can't take That's it. Right. Be judged from na- from here on out. So, so if our uh, our listeners want to order, you do. Uh, what do you have to do? Four four packs, three four packs. Does it matter? Uh, the box holds three four packs. Um, I recommend at least two just for balance. Um, and uh, and you know you're going to pay for shipping, so it's usually going to be about twenty bucks for shipping. So. Um, I say fill up that box, make the most of it. Um, I think and, Pennsylvania uh, is uh, three, four packs is, is what's supposed to be the law for when you're getting beer shipped to you. But it just depends on the brewery you order from because uh, sometimes yeah. you can order and you just get, uh, you know, a, a giant box. Yeah, they're all over the place. Yeah. So yeah. I, th- I think that's well, what the rule is supposed to be. Pack. Yeah. Yeah, so, so once you place your order, um, you know, we, do, we email you back. You just need to uh, send us a photo of your ID. Um you know, to show that you're 21, and then we uh, pack it up, uh, send it FedEx home delivery, and uh, and it gets to you usually within two to three days, depending on um, depending on FedEx. But, yeah, and this time of year it's great because it's not hot outside, so the beer is going to show up nice and cool. Yeah, staying yeah. showing up nice and crispy. That's the way to do it. So yeah. we we kind of jumped ahead, but um, tell us about you know, can you think of any interesting stories of what it was like, you know, deciding I'm opening a place and what went into it. You know, you said it was five years ago. So what was it like opening a brewery five years ago? And, um, you know, what, what's it like now? What's the market like now? You know, and what was it like then, I guess, when you were getting started? What, what are the differences? Uh, I mean, the, the market has been pretty mature here in Massachusetts for a while. Um, so, uh, you know, I already had 17 years of experience um, at the time when we were opening. And... Uh, for those that don't know, we we actually didn't build our brewery from scratch. Uh, we ended up uh, moving into an existing brewery and renovating it. Um, Jack's Abbey uh, was there before us, and we assumed their lease and eventually bought the building uh, from the from the landlord a couple of years ago. Are they still um, around? At, oh yeah, yeah. They're they're uh, half a mile down the street from us. Okay, yeah. that's that's um, what I was thinking of when you when you guys said uh, Framingham. I was like, isn't there a beer fr- Framinghammer? Framing mm-hmm. Hammer. Yeah. Hammer. Their, yeah. One of their <laughs> one of their beers. Yeah. Yeah. So so at the time I, I was pretty confident that, you know, a combination of my experience of knowing I could deliver on making really good beers, uh, hiring the right people, certainly getting Kelsey on board, uh, on the marketing and and at the time taproom management, sales management, kind of everything. <laughs> I, I like to brag that Kelsey does every <laughs> single thing in the brewery except make beer. Like that's what he does. I do and HR and I <laughs> totally do it all. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, this is my son, Noah. He's showing just his pajama shirt. Noah. <laughs> yeah, what up, Noah? <laughs> yeah, this is live. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, so all of those things combined, I, I had some confidence for sure. Uh, and I also had a bit of a reputation. You know, I had been brewing in, the, in Massachusetts for decade plus, decade and a half plus. And 
was ready to deliver on all of that. And I had an idea of what kind of beers I wanted to make. I wanted to lead with a Kolsch. I wanted to make a Porter. Uh, I wanted to make some IPAs. I didn't even think about making New England IPA. And in fact, it took us two and a half years before we even put New England IPA on the label. Um, and uh, we're like, you know, that's not a style. <laughs> right. We didn't believe that it was a style. We were like, we <laughs> are. <laughs> it's exactly right. And so at the time, um, you know, we were in Framingham and there was a big lager brewery there. And we didn't feel the need to make lagers, although we do make some lager now. Yeah. And uh, and are proud of some of those beers, uh, but we we wanted to have uh, you know a, a portfolio that we could you know look back on. I see you're drinking just a kitten right now. Yeah, you know, um, after having some juice, I was like, I just need a so, little bit more. I, I want to try something. Try the so next that's one. that's Toby, the other cat. That's Toby. Okay, that's Toby the cat. Yeah, um, that is Toby. And our 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 twenty year old art student uh, Isabella did uh, do that drawing of Toby with the ball of yarn. Um, and Kelsey like and Kelsey collaborated, I guess, with her to finish off the design and create that label, which to me, it's actually my favorite label. Yeah, I like the background a lot. Yeah, yeah it's awesome. It's awesome. Little Easter eggs there. But uh, yeah, I mean, at the time, the market was hungry for more IPAs within this hazy, juicy style. But it was early. Like we hadn't, you know, Treehouse was a couple years old at that time. Trillium uh, was kind of just getting big and uh you know I think they just opened their, their canton location they just had opened canton yeah. um and uh so so uh, you know there was there was a lot of uh excitement behind the brand um we you know like kelsey said there was we were kind of kept it a secret for a little while and we did we i didn't even tell people the name of the place i didn't tell them anything about what we were doing until maybe months before we opened a month or so before we opened um, it's kind of hard to remember now the details, but, uh, <laughs> but it was, it was a pretty exciting time. I mean, there was, there's, you know, like I said, the, the market's mature here in Massachusetts, sure. we, you know, the, the, the craft beer drinker is normal. It's like, it's not some shock if you drink, you know, better beers and it felt very natural to progress in this way where it was like, we're not just going to lean on one kind of thing. We're going to actually have this wide portfolio, make 16 different beers a year. And like now we've made, I don't know, we've made 60 different beers or something. Yeah. I don't even know how many different beers we've made, but iterations of different things and pro- project beers. And I think we, have, we have 14 on draft in the tap room right now. So. Do we have 14 right now? Yeah. Oh, that's incredible. <laughs> At one point, I remember thinking when we first had eight, we had eight beers and we were like, Wow, we have eight beers in cans. <laughs> like this is incredible, and in, in you know on draft and in cans, and uh, and now we have fourteen, and there's probably even more than that in cans and bottles right now. So the- My favorite time was uh, probably like a probably like a month or, or two months after we opened. Um, like we had gotten slammed with like people coming into the tap room, and we were out of everything except for hair razor, which is the double IPA. Mm-hmm. And I think we had Sunday paper, which is, oh, and, and yeah, Sunday paper was 9.9% um, Imperial stout. And we had swordfish, which was, which was a, like a 10% barrel aged barley wine. So like people came in and like, Oh, what do you have? It's like, are you looking to get sloshed? <laughs> that's about all we got. Yeah. We had four beers, everything over 8%. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. 
it felt good though. I mean, we were busy right away. Uh, we definitely got some nice accolades right away. Uh, and we had some excitement behind the brand and behind the people for sure. You know, Kelsey had a lot of friends that he brought. I had a lot of friends. Uh, turns out our tap room manager, Adam also had a lot of friends and apparently our, our dads were friends and we didn't even know that our dads oh, that's were cool. friends. <laughs> yeah. Nice. And, uh, so it was, it was a very, uh, it was a very exciting opening. Kelsey, we we're all pretty pumped up. What's your tap room vibe up like, uh, like up there? If any, we got anybody visiting, are you guys doing um, food or is it like a, a quizzo every night kind of place? Is it just a small little drinking hole? What's the vibe up there? Yeah. I mean, our tap room, um, it kind of, it ebbs and flows. So the actual tap room space itself is relatively small. Um, yeah, we have like a four seat bar and then um, probably about another 20, 25 seats. Uh, I've got a couple pinball machines in the back. And um, so it's like pretty pinball. chill um, on weeknights. Uh, Friday night, uh, we uh, open up the brewery floor itself and we set up high top tables in there. And um, we get food vendors, to usually food trucks or pop ups that uh, will come in like Friday, Saturdays and Sundays. And um, so you actually can go sit inside the brewery Then we get live bands that play in there. Um, Saturdays we, uh, yeah, we do, uh, like stand-up comedy, um, shows, we do movie nights. Um, uh, and then Sundays are, are kind of a little bit more chill. We'll do, we have a live jazz program, um, every Sunday from like one to three where we get local jazz artists to come in and play. And so it's a, a nice chill kind of Sunday um sunday brunchy nice. um chill out yeah. here's your hangover kind of place <laughs> <laughs> i don't know anybody I, I, doing jazz around here not anymore oh that sounds cool yeah it's really yeah. nice yeah I that's think why we wanted different. to do it because uh, there's no very few places to actually go see live jazz anymore yeah. um and even like our the live bands that we book we um matthew and i discussed it early on and we're like there there are so many places for a cover band to play you know, like any any bar, restaurant, you know, stick a guy with a guitar and have him play Wagon Wheel, you know, um, and that's, that's <laughs> totally fine. Um, you know, but the, but where are the, the venues for bands that are doing original music? Play, you know, where are they going to play? And especially with Nowhere the, in the suburbs. so many, yeah, so many of them <laughs> yeah. closed, even in the city, you know, the, these venues that were closing yeah. left and right. And we're like, well, let's do that. So, um, uh, so we booked primarily just bands that play original music and... I'm booking into May of 2022 right now um, for shows. Um, And we have discovered some incredible bands. Like we've had bands play. (laughs) Oh, these guys are incredible. Like how are they not, you know, I'm like on the phone with my brother because his wife works for a record company. I'm like, you've got to get down here (laughs) and see this band, you know? Oh, that's awesome. uh, Yeah. We've had, we've had some amazing, um, uh, uh, band, bands play it's been that part's yeah. been amazing and we're you know we're all into music and and i think that uh it's it's really a very gratifying to be able to support the local original bands you know yeah and we book everything from you know as long as it's kind of tap room friendly um death metal live death metal probably doesn't work as well but <laughs> um you know we uh but we book you know reggae and we got a lot of alt alt rock bands um especially uh downtown boston area there's a bunch of um you know, kind of uh, cool up and coming bands that are forming out there. Um, one of our favorite bands called the Macro Tones, and they're a nine piece Afro funk band. Um, Amazing. And uh, the first time they played, we're like, how are we going to fit them all in? Yeah. <laughs> so they, they work and they have full horn section, everything. Oh, that sounds like um, a blast. 
Yeah. As, so, uh, reggae, reggae bands. Yeah, yeah reggae a couple, bands. And a couple of reggae bands. We've also had a guy playing out of a mic'd cactus, of all things. What? Yeah. We, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we did a, a, some friends of ours. Uh, our, uh, one, is, one is a music teacher, and he started a program called Original Gravity Series. And um, they would uh, kind of go around to different breweries and uh, curate these kind of alternative uh, kind of symphonic type of music, um, kind of experimental music shows. Um, so the guy that they booked for at our brewery, um, he did a variety of other things, but one of the things he did was <clears throat> he brought in a cactus, like a small little round cactus and put some <laughs> like pro electrodes in it basically. And then that was connected to his Mac and um, he would pluck and twirl the, the, the spines on the cactus right. and that would translate into notes. Um, so he would actually be playing, you know, and like strumming this cactus. Um, wild. It, it, his yeah, fingers wild. were covered in like little holes, like yeah. little stars. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Why do yeah. you even begin but, to think of that? Yeah. yeah. Look, I'm going to do. It's I'm like putting be. a. He but, put a humbucker in a prickly pear. But the <laughs> most amazing, yeah, the most amazing thing about that is he had sheet music for it. Right. And, and I'm like, I want to see, like, how do you write sheet music for a cactus? <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. How about a pineapple? It might not hurt as much. Yeah. No, right? no, I'm going cactus. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's right. awesome. Shut it up. almost sounded like liquid. There was like some liquidity. Like it's, it, it had liquid sound to it. It was really interesting. Yeah. It was like it was a plunk, plunk. Yeah. yeah, that like wasn't. Whoever... I, I wouldn't say that was the highlight of our live original. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's definitely it memorable. Definitely funny. Yeah, <laughs> it was so memorable. I mean, somebody... we were all kind of like, we have to see this. Like, I got to see this for sure. <laughs> somebody yeah. had to come up with the didgeridoo, right? You know, you're like, yeah. you know, or yeah. like playing a saw. But like, that doesn't. <laughs> but that doesn't <laughs> hurt to touch. <laughs> the the saw board. does. Yeah. Definitely <laughs> took some experimentation and some creativity. Yeah. I'll say that for sure. Mm -hmm. So um, we're sipping on this just a kitten, and uh, like I said, I, I just wanted yeah. to do another another juicy, and it's fantastic, and it again has that nice bitter hop that I feel like is lingering, but it's definitely a different hop. I yeah, can't this, pick out what it is for sure, but like it, it's just so it, it's really nice and interesting that it's it's like uh just you know that different flavor that's coming out that's lingering, you know. So cat and kitten share a very similar malt character, very, very similar malt uh, base. Um, cat being uh, six and a half percent, kittens five percent. Um, we we hop the beer uh, very different, though. In fact, there's no kettle hops in just a kitten. Mm -hmm. um, we use uh, just citra in the whirlpool, and it is a very aggressive pitch of citra in there. I mean, that charge is basically it's a half pound per barrel on the hot side, which is pretty aggressive i mean you know it just is it's a it's a fair amount I'm, i don't know that we've measured the ibus on this one recently but um i guess it's 30 or 40 just from that addition you know like not calculated necessarily but certainly uh you know if you measure it with the, with the equipment uh with, with with the spectrometer or whatever uh tool might be used but so we um then dry hop the beer with a combination of mosaic and vic secret mm -hmm. vic secret is an australian grown um aromatic beautiful unbelievable hop i love that hop so much and uh we contracted with willamette valley hops to get kind of the primo lots of that um and we so we've we've really found a home with it in this beer uh we've used it in other beers as well we have a 
double IPA called Wandering Thoughts that we use in it. And we've used it in various beers, but uh, this is the one that's really leading it, you know, using a majority of those hops. And uh, it's it's awesome. I mean, I'm super proud of it. It's basically two to one Vic Secret to Mosaic in the dry hop. Okay. And we make uh, 60 barrel batches of this one. We make 80 barrel batches of cat and 60 barrel batches of kitten. And uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's our, awesome. It's our number I mean, two seller now. It is, yeah. And we only launched it a year and a half ago, right? Two years. And so it's, yeah, it kind of took over and we're brewing it every other week. And um, that part's been really fun. I I like the idea of having a lower percentage, well-hopped beer. Yeah, Um, for sure. You know, 5% beer for me is kind of where that's my sweet spot as far as like if I'm going to enjoy a few. Yeah. Uh, I happen to be one of those brewers that like barely drinks anymore. Like I literally, (laughs) I literally, since the pandemic started, I've had like a beer a week, you know, like it's pretty awesome actually, but sort of sad, (laughs) you know, like today I I had a a full sample size, a five ounce pour of, uh, of our focal point, which is our uh, Dunkel, smoke Dunkel. Smoke Dunkel. Yeah. Dunkel. Dunkel mm-hmm. Lager. Yeah. Munich Dunkel. Yeah. Munich Dunkel. The Slightly smoke, smoky. Not the, super smoky. The smoke beers um, are come, making a comeback. Yeah. We've been talking a lot about smoke beers mm-hmm. recently in the brewery. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, so it's it. But with Just a Kitten, it's for us. I, I really envision that beer maintaining its number two spot and in our portfolio and uh, helping to, uh, you know, take us to the next level. Do you guys see it like a, a an evolution happening with your customers? You know, you talk about how big and how popular the hazy IPAs are in your, um, you know, your guys' market, let's say. And to be a type of brewery that has lots of different options other than just hazy IPAs, do you, do you see customers... Now that they've come into the mix and they've got an appreciation for beer now, maybe because they've had all of these, you know, super soft, juicy IPAs that have kind of introduced them to um, to craft beer. Now they can explore more. And are there more people that are really starting to appreciate, you know, Pilsners, Lagers, Porters, you know, all these other styles? Yeah, I I definitely think so. And I think it's. Yeah, there's kind of the uh, I call it like the the bell curve of the the craft beer drinker sort of. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like you, when you first kind of get into it, you're like, oh my god, there's flavor. You know, so, so you're you you want those like double IPAs, you want the you know the pastry stouts, you know, you want all this stuff that all the crazy flavors, and then you're like, okay, well, what else is out there? And um, and you know, so you know, generally like the new craft beer drinker isn't going to gravitate towards the goody two shoes because that kind of reminds them of what they were drinking in college, you know, um, so they were, they're looking for something different, but then they come back to it and they, and they realize how well crafted it is. And, um, you know, and like, you can't make mistakes in a beer like that. Um, so I think they're, you know, they start to come around to, you know, to sour beers and to, um, to lagers and pilsners and colches and, and kind of more of your classic styles, you know, British milds and things like that. Um, and I would say like wholesale, um, you know, I think the hazy IPA is still king. Um, but in our tap room and in the beer garden in the summer, uh, we see a lot more Kolsch, a lot more of the lagers. Uh, you know, we do a Mexican lager called Right to Farm um, that does really well. And, 
Um, you know, and I, I, so I think when you're in that environment, just kind of hanging out, um, what you want to enjoy a beer, kind of experience the, the atmosphere. I think, you know, people are rec are turning towards the, the lighter beers, the lagers, the, you know, the kind of crisper, more, more well-balanced beers. Yeah. I think also not just the younger, not, I don't mean younger in age, but like the, the people that have a little less craft beer experience, yeah. um, may lean towards what they're told is good. So, you know, the, the hazy IPA, that's not as bitter because they maybe tried IPAs five years ago and were like, well, I, I can't handle this. But I think the, the more mature, uh, drinker the and certainly industry people and i don't just mean brewers but like servers restaurant people um they're coming in and they order kolsch they or or porter like they're not there's they don't they don't have time for the ipas they've had them all in that way you know and 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 i think that you know when people come to our brewery that are brewers or that work at breweries or that are in the industry otherwise in some fashion they want to find out what's going on with this goody two shoes. They've either heard of it or they've been told you got to drink this Kolsch. They're making the best Kolsch in the area. Uh, that to me is, it doesn't get more gratifying. Like I love when brewers show up because they're drinking that. I know they are and they don't even need to order it. You just hand it to them and you're like, hey. uh, remind reminds me of uh, when we launched Southern Maine. Um, we were at the Maine Brewers Guild Festival and it, like all of the other brewers were running over to our table going, I heard I got to try the Kolsch. I heard I got to try the Kolsch. Yeah. <laughs> that was one of my favorite moments because one of my heroes, and he probably wouldn't like to hear this, but Garrett uh, Marrero from Maui Brewing, who we saw at, at CDC this year, yeah. uh, he was uh, very proud to to drink the beers with us. And, and he's just such an amazing, warm dude. And he's just like, this is this is good man you like you're making really good kolsch here like what the hell are you up to how are you you know like kind of you're like the sleeper you know like nobody knows about this like how come you know and we were young at that point we were only like a year and a half in and and uh and we had been invited up to that main festival um so that was such a i love when brewers who i really look up to get a chance to try it and actually get it yeah, that's like, exciting ah. yeah. super exciting how yeah. rewarding for sure oh the best it's the best and when we have like uh when we like host the mass brewers guild meetings you know it's like 99 percent kolsch that people are drinking and then then like the other one percent is like people wanting to try the other things yeah yeah do you guys have anything coming up at the brewery that you want to plug uh any events any new beer releases anything going on up there that uh people should be on the lookout for airport Um, live tomorrow night right yeah airport's playing live they were nominated for uh best of boston or boston music award um for uh, best rock band, so they're playing tomorrow night. But um, yeah, we got uh, the Blackstone Valley String Quartets doing a holiday concert uh, next Saturday at the brewery, uh, which is going to be fun. Um, so we we do all kinds of music, so it's going to be a nice classical holiday concert. Um, yeah, we're just kind of winding down for the holidays, and then uh, you know we're starting our comedy shows back up again um, on January eighth. Uh, so our live stand up comedy in the brewery. Um, so that should be a lot of fun. And, uh, what do we got coming out? We got, uh, did you want to talk about our, our latest project? Uh, sure. I'm happy to mention it. Um, I am really excited to see that you're both drinking a Porter right now. Um, I, uh, I care a lot about that beer. I'll talk about the new project, but I'll talk about the Porter for a second because you're about to, yep, you're drinking it right now. Uh, so 
it's you know we could talk about hops all day and mm. that would excite people um but malt is just as sexy and if not more sexy uh so we put a lot of effort into exploring roasted grains to develop this beer um the the maltsters and roaster at at valley malt uh andrea and chris and margo um have done an amazing job of helping us find the right roasts for these for this beer uh we use a combination of coffee like brown malt like english brown english english style brown malt um and uh chocolate wheat and uh, a little bit of roast uh roasted barley but the majority of the flavor and the color that you're getting in that beer is from the brown malt and it's like 160 love a bond you know english style brown malt and it's it's a beautiful grain like when, whenever we go to brew porter and it, it is my if, if you're going to ask this question i'll just answer it already it is my favorite <laughs> beer to make it is also one of my favorite beers to drink but it is definitely my favorite beer to, to make because the aromas that just come pouring out of that brew house are out of control it's like it's chocolate and coffee like you know aromas but then you get this deep deep like bread dark bread coming out of there brown bread and uh it's like walking i do actually love not being the person brewing it because if i walk in during the brew day like say i come in at nine o'clock or something which is generally not the case but i'm coming in at nine o'clock for whatever reason and either kyle or joe or someone else is actually on the deck that morning and i can smell it for the first time after not being in the building it's like uh, I, this is why I got into this silly business, you know, <laughs> and, and it is true though, that, it, you know, the dark beers are fun to make because it just smells amazing in the brewery and, um, and it's a privilege and, and I'm so proud to be able to use the grains from Valley Malt to, to deliver a beer like this for sure. It's coffee and chocolate where the, you said the, that's the very first things that, uh, that came to my, to my palate. There's mm -hmm. a, a little bit of tobacco-y in the back end, but not a lot. I don't like it when Porter's get too tobacco-y on me and so this, mm -hmm. this is really nice porter. now i like the carb there's like a really nice um the carb on it's really good there's a softness to the carb yeah Almost, yeah yeah, yeah we carbonate the... most of our beers like our hoppy beers are like around two six two six four um this might get a little more technical than people want to hear but um <laughs> kolsch is like two six five to two seven and then the porter is like two five to two five five and that that difference is pretty clear like there's a difference and when you drink the beer certainly side by side you can feel the softness of the porter and i think if it was carved much more it would it would be too crispy and it's, it would take away i think from from the delicate like metallic sometimes but yep yep dark beer get too carbonated it's almost Carbonic. like gives it like a creaminess kind of feel to it yeah mm. yeah there's definitely no metallic i know exactly what you mean um everybody likes to give me crap because when it comes to dark beers I usually just want to go motor motor oil. I want like really the thick, the darkest it can be, high ABV probably, and preferably barrel aged, right? Yeah. But this porter has such a good mouthfeel and such a good body that it makes me forget about that. Yeah, you know, there's so I much. I mean, for us, going it's a on. standard. Yeah. Like you're. You're, the idea is like, I mean, Kelsey came up with the name briefcase. And the, what I think about when I think about that is like everybody kind of needs a briefcase. Now, none of us technically need a briefcase, but I mean, my briefcase is sitting right here. It's got my computer in it, yeah, yeah. but well, it usually has it in there. And, <laughs> but, it, but it is some, there's something about 
the necessity of a porter in your portfolio because there's always someone. And in our brewery, his in our brewery, his name is Cisco. Uh, Francisco, he owns a bike shop across the street from the brewery. And he literally, I don't know that I've ever seen him drink anything besides briefcase. And he's, and he has drank, he has consumed more briefcase than any human that I know yep. of, um, <laughs> including all of us that work at the brewery, because we actually, you know, drink through the portfolio, not just stop at one thing. And it, that to me, there is always a reason to have a porter, you know, and it's, it's a year round part of our core portfolio. Uh, it's a necess, it's a necessity in 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 i think every brewery personally like and when i go to a brewery i want to know what's their kind of lightest beer uh whether it's a lager or kolsch or some kind of golden beer um and uh whether it's a wit beer or whatever and and then i want to know what their what their porter tastes like and i feel like that is the defining factor for me of a brewer's skill uh a brewer's design skill as far as beers con concepts are concerned um, and uh, and just the quality of the place. I can't believe that's five point four percent. Yeah, no, it's got. That's what I mean. Like it's got such a thicker mouthfeel that it feels like a bigger beer than like I would usually think of a porter. Because like sometimes to me, porters aren't the like I'm, sometimes they're not well executed, so they just feel like thin, watery stouts. Mm -hmm. You know yep. what I mean? So I think that's I a like big problem the, with the style. Yeah. 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 So I think that's why a lot of times when I try them from different places, I'm like, man, it just, you know, give me something thick that's just got like that body that I want, you know? So I really like and appreciate having a porter that's, you know, that's got that feeling to it that um, doesn't make me think thin for a second. And I really like yeah. that dynamic you're talking about with uh, with the guy across the street that drinks all the porters. Like, I, I want like I want, I want to turn that into a question that we ask brewers because I think about people like Devin with East Branch where like there's a guy who like he makes sure that he has every beer that comes out of this brewery. Like every time they come out with a new beer, he's there. He's there. Yeah. He yeah. tries it. He brings it home. He's he's very proud to say I've had every beer that this place has put out. Um, I, I would imagine like every brewery's got a person like that or, or has something where it's like, this guy's had every beer. This guy's had more porter than anybody else. You know, yeah, this guy's, I think we this all guy's have here that. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. every who, who day at, at 1 15 PM or whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know what time he starts, but it's early. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I know that we've had over the years, we've definitely had mm. people that have had basically everything we've ever brewed. Uh, we have a handful of regulars, uh, Alex and Alan and yep. those guys, the guys from, the you know, they live in the neighborhood that we're in and they have had all our, our beers. I mean, they, and they, I, I don't think they stick to one thing. I think they kind of meander um, and just kind of love everything that we do. And, uh, you know, some are better than others, I'm sure on the, you know, in a subjective nature, but, um, but yeah, yeah we definitely have try everything when it comes out, but you know, yeah. then they'll go back to cat or, you know, kitten or hair razor, goodie. Right. I like the yeah, thought whatever of whatever it is they're into. I like the thought of this guy having like six or seven porters and then getting on his bicycle and yeah. <laughs> just weaving and hitting on the brakes all willy nilly like Max Verstappen. Yeah. Huh? Look at that. Yeah, there you yeah, go. Max you got F one on you. Yeah. <laughs> nice, nice reference. He yeah. would probably like that. I wasn't expecting um, he's, that. He's a uh, former professional rider. Right, he was okay. in the, <laughs> pretty sure in the Tour de France. Yeah, he was in the Tour de France. Oh, wow. He oh, wow. Uh, has a very cool bike shop. I've bought a few bikes from him in the recent years. I just bought my son a bike from him. Nice. Uh, he he couldn't be a bigger supporter. I mean, he shouts us out anytime he can. 
we uh, the Boston Marathon runs right on right kind of by our brewery, a block from our brewery, and we own the building that's actually on that street uh, also. And uh, he's right across the street, so his his bike shop is right on the marathon route. Okay. So this year for the marathon. They were all out there, all like there were like ten people, all of our regulars, and they're drinking at nine in the morning. <laughs> yeah. of our years. Yeah, it's and, got the grill going, you know. Yeah, nice. yeah it's great. It was great. Oh, and, that's uh, awesome. When you said he so was they, a professional, I wanted it to be a professional wrestler so bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's a very tall, skinny Puerto Rican guy. He's not yeah. gonna wrestle anybody. That's that's impressive built, though. That if he did the tour for to France, riding, yeah, <laughs> that's impressive. Yeah, yeah. So guys, great I want to. I want to ask you. Um, what is the Northeast Grain Shed Alliance? Ah, my, the heart and soul of our future. <laughs> um, so the Northeast Grain Shed Alliance is a group of like-minded companies and individuals, both consumers, breweries, bakers, distillers, uh, millers who make flour, and grain growers, farmers. And, and we educators. all came together. And educators, thank you. And retailers. So it's basically everybody <laughs> um, and the supply and the, chain. The, the whole purpose of it is to uh, to bring the supply chain to the forefront of the conversation. And one of the big issues that we have now as brewers is sourcing and procuring uh, uh, ingredients. Um, you know, people talk about cans like, oh, it's hard to find cans. Well, I got tons of cans. What I need is grain and I need a lot of grain so I can buy grain from canada i can buy grain from the midwest i can buy grain from europe but i can also buy grain from the northeast so we've got growers in maine and new hampshire and massachusetts and new york and connecticut and all sorts of other areas i'm sure there's grain growing down in pennsylvania as well and there's and i know there's craft maltsters in pennsylvania so uh the idea is to just bring that conversation to the consumer to the brewers to the distillers bakers everybody that's using these processed materials um, so that we're consistent in our message which is that using local grain is good for the local economy it's good for the farmers it's great for the consumer because you know where your stuff is coming from and we i learned last night actually it's funny uh, i get it I, I happen to be really great friends with our malt supplier at Valley Malt as well. I mean, they're, they're, they happen to be uh, wonderful business associates, but they're also my close friends. And so I get a text from Andrea last night and she says, uh, you used uh, 20 acres this year of barley. Wow. Like we 20 acres. Now an acre of barley is anywhere between 1500 and 2000 to 2,500 pounds. Okay. So we've used, 20 acres of barley we've used 28 acres of wheat and a measly acre and a half or i'm sorry a half an acre, half an acre. Of, <laughs> half an acre of rye <laughs> because we make one rye beer a year called danko and we use danko and actually what's hilarious is that andrea is texting me right now and i'm guessing that they're listening <laughs> they are but so uh so the cool part about that is that we can talk to those farmers and we can go to those farms and be like, wow, this, that's 20 acres. Now, mind you, this can of, where is it? Goody two shoes mm -hmm. is, you know, if, if this beer was made with a hundred percent local grain, it would be roughly four square feet of, of field. Okay. So imagine that one pint of yeah. beer is two by two farmland. So a case of beer is, 
it's just yeah. the amount of field that is required to make these beers is out of control. So we take it upon ourselves to put a lot of effort and resources and quite frankly, money into being able to buy local grain and having a local monster process that grain. And then, of course, the local brewer using it and hopefully that local consumer enjoying it and reflecting on the fact that, wow, it came from that farm. And so that supply chain is really important to me as a brewer because it takes me 14 weeks to get, you know, a pallet of grain from Europe. Like I order con full containers from Wireman now and from Simpsons in the UK. It takes 14 weeks minimum to get that to our door, to our door. That was before can, the supply chain issue. And that was, be, yeah, that was before the pandemic. And now wow. it's like, it's six months, right? So it's actually shrinking a little bit now because it's just, it is, it's improving a little, but it could get stuck at the dock in New York and never right. get you. Yeah. And, and think about mm. that. Like, should I get grain from 4,000 miles away or should I get it from 50? Yeah, for sure. You know, or 400 miles. So, and so the Northeast Grain Shed is this 400 mile area. And we have many growers, we have many bakers and distillers and brewers and millers. And it's really an exciting time for grain in the Northeast. And I happen to be on the uh, advisory board. Um, I'm also on the, uh, I don't know what the board, another board, which is the, the four square foot project, which is the idea of this pint of beers, four square feet of farmland. Uh, so let's try to keep most of that farmland here, you know. That's blowing and, my mind right now to think of four square feet per per beer. Yeah, your mind should be blown because yeah, it, yeah. it's insane. And 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 that's, I think, part of our issue, too. I mean, as living in, in an area where there is a lot of farming here in West, I live in Western Mass. Mm -hmm. um, and it's exciting because I, I go to Valley Malt and I'm like, there's barley and rye growing right there. And that's just like their test fields, you know? And so it's, I, I'm into it. I used to think that yeast is what used to get me excited about beer making. And that when I was a home brewer, I used to like, I'd use like, you know, Ardennes and, you know, these cool Belgian yeasts. And it's, it's malt actually that gets me the most excited these days. Wow. It really and does. I, and I think it, 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 it resonates with consumers when you take the time to really kind of explain it that way, you know, like, to, for them to realize, you know, it's like, oh, I just drank eight square feet of and supported eight square feet of local farmland from a local farmer that's right here in New England, you know, and, um, you know, can you, how, how many times can you say that about any kind of product that you buy from the grocery store, you know, like that, that you, uh, unless you know specifically, you know, like that can of, you know, Chef Boyardee, um, you know, like how much of the grain in that pasta is local, you know, and uh, yeah, so so I think it, it it resonates with people to once they kind of understand it's like, oh, by drinking this beer, I'm actually helping, you know, I'm actually helping to support this farmer. I'm ha actually helping to support the malsters to help the, the local truckers to help um, you know, support the mills and everyone else who's, you know, on that local supply chain. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. I, I, I spend a lot of time with Andrea and Chris uh, talking about this stuff. And one of the things that's been most energizing for me is getting to know some of the farmers. And there's a gentleman by the name of Tor Oshner, and he owns a farm in New York. And we actually just, 
I don't think he's listening, so I won't spoil the surprise, <laughs> but he's about to get a package of beer uh, that we mailed over to him. But um, I think the the really exciting part is that they are so appreciative of the use of their materials. Like they're spending, like farming is hard freaking work. Sure, yeah. It's so hard. And grain growing, there's like no upside it's like you know it's <laughs> right. so hard it's, it's so what hard. it is the harvesting is hard like the you're you're growing something that's this big and it's like you you need so much land to make it work and you need so much you know harvest equipment uh storage uh you know fuel for for trucking it around and so for us um it's an unbelievable opportunity to support these farmers that would otherwise be making you know, they'd be growing great. You know, he, they're they're also a flour mill, so they they put a lot of raw wheat into uh, to bakers, um, which is awesome. Um, but why not make some beer out of that grain? Yeah. You know, and so we we we, we have a pledge. Um, we have a pledge to buy uh, over a hundred thousand pounds of locally sourced grains uh, in twenty twenty two. We happen to be. I learned yesterday we happen to be Valley Malt's number one customer, which is pretty cool. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> And she she told me I could tell people that. So, <laughs> but it is it is exciting, and it's a very deliberate move. Like I'm not doing this for marketing purposes. I'm I'm doing it because it's better, and the beer is better because of it. I feel better about it, and it's a great story, and we get to share that with our brewers. The brewers are excited every time we open a fresh bag of of something we haven't used in a while, uh, or we're you know just doing a little sensory on some wheat or or. We have a new grain called Va Va Vom, which is basically a dextrin malt that Valley Malt makes for us. Um, when we open those bags, we we chew on that grain and we're like, ah, oh, this is special stuff. You know, it's it's really, really incredible stuff. God, it's so crazy to think that, you know, I mean, of course, there's different grains out there that you use for different styles. But like, I don't know, I, I haven't even really gone down that road much at all. Like I've got such limited like home brewing experience. Now I'm trying to think of how much farmland I've drank over the past year. Right, <laughs> that's 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 a real thing. Um, and in fact, I just drank eight square feet tonight. So. <laughs> right, there's a there's a calculator there's a calculator that we have on the Northeast Grain Shed website that you can use to discover how much, you know, how much farmland you consume. Yeah. Oh, that's wild! And it, yeah, what, yeah, what a crazy thing. I can tell the wife I'm supporting local farmers now. For you sure. Can. That's that what I'm doing. Real deal. Yeah, there's no question you can do that. And you can also, you know, and 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 I put a little pride in the fact that we buy some grain from Europe too, because you know, it's fabulous grain and we're supporting those farmers, you know. And of course, it, you know, shipping it across the country, across the ocean isn't the greatest thing. Um, but the alternative is we don't have access to those world class malts either. So why shouldn't we have access? So I have a, a great relationship with our supplier of Simpsons and Weirman malts, um, Germany and 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 the UK. Like I love those grains, you know, and we use them. Um, and some of them we use a lot of. Uh, the Kolsch, it's got Pilsner malt from Germany. I mean, it's the you know it's, we're, we're aiming for authenticity here. Sure. And and so there's no. Uh, question as to our you know we we don't just have an allegiance to the local although that is our primary uh, allegiance but i do take a lot of pride in the fact that we're buying these grains from 
you know, from Europe that are unbelievably high quality. And there are farmers that we're supporting through this, through this work, you know? Yeah. So I think that there's some, uh, something to be said about that as well. That's awesome, man. It's such a great story. It's so nice to hear what's going on behind the scenes, what goes into the beer, you know, how local it can be and, and how, how much more special it is, you know, why it's so important to support local breweries than to, you know, always go grab that macro stuff. It's, you know, I think it's really important for people to go out if they like drinking beer, even if it's, you know, lagers and, and light beers, you know, go find a local brew pub, go try that beer and find something that's, you know, being where the grains coming from local people, where the brewers, you're supporting the community. It's all coming back into your neighborhood and into your area, you know, go to that brew pub and try that out. I, th I think that's such an important thing to do. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great message. All right, you guys, uh, I think we're, we're getting close to it on time. You ready to get into the toast? Do a toast. Let's do the toast. <laughs> How about a beer? Mikey <laughs> Brews presents the toast of the week. Oh, my God. I'm, uh, I'm on the, um, the, coffee, the coffee stout now. Oh, Just getting Sunday right paper. through them. They're going down That's pretty easy. They're going down pretty easy. That's your motor oil there. Have you, have yeah. you, are you, are you going to talk, get back? We can if you'd like to. I so you, we, we, I think one of you guys mentioned earlier, we were talking about the Beatles for a second. Some, mm -hmm. Somebody uh, dropped dropped it. But uh, mm -hmm. so mi Mr. Steve on uh, was a Thompson Island, right? It was Thompson Island, you, yeah. you toasted found footage, and I was really excited. And then I saw that the episodes were like movies. I had no idea they were three hours apiece. <laughs> like three hours apiece. I've but, watched um, through it. I've watched through it twice. Have you? <laughs> yeah. Good for, for you. you. <laughs> Good for you. For real. So I, I, I can't say that I've had a lot of Beatles experience. Um, I'm oh. recently 36. Uh, I'm, I'm maybe a little bit younger than uh, th than you know most Beatles fans. Let's say, but like. Um, you know, it wasn't a part of my childhood growing up. Nobody in my family listened to it, and I just never really had that opportunity to, to dig in. And just like the podcasts do, just like Drive to Survive, the documentaries do, you know, when you, when you have these opportunities to see what's going on behind the scenes, you just get such a better appreciation for it. And, and it's, I think it's probably crazy for a lot of people to hear that, like, my... Um, like I heard a lot of those songs for the first time on that on that documentary as they're being developed. That's you know cool what I mean? Though. There's something to be said about it's, that. It's pretty wild, I mean, my, right? My mom tested us on the Beatles when we were kids. Like there was no <laughs> effing around. Like yeah. you had to know the if you couldn't name the four Beatles. I mean, we used to make fun of someone that used to work at the brewery because he didn't know who John Lennon was. Like, <laughs> yeah, like there's a. I have a problem with that. Like, literally, I don't know that I can work with you. As you I, should. You know? As you should. I, I was telling right. my wife recently, I was like, you know, I could have told you Paul, John, Ringo, but who's the other guy? I couldn't have named oh, the fourth on. Beatle. For, <laughs> for real. All things, I, that, I, all things must pass. I mean, it's yeah, one of the greatest solo records ever. So, <laughs> so you know, and, and that was up until recently. So, um, you know, like I said, like I heard a lot of those songs for the first time. And my wife was telling me that on Preston and Steve, it's like a local, um, you know, regular radio station they were talking about it and how like frustrating it was for them to watch it and them to be singing the wrong words <laughs> yeah you know what i mean yeah. like they were like you I know i know the words to the song like you Those know aren't the words what do you and, and it was a completely different experience for me i was like oh i like where this is going and then it's like <laughs> oh yeah like I, I you know 
that that's such a better verse now or you know right. i like that that guitar part they figured out yeah, yeah so it, it was really interesting for me and um and it's just like for i don't know you said what would you say on the thompson island episode somebody told you that you're you're you're, you're either not you're either it? not uh, you're either a beatles fan or you're not a beatles fan yet yeah yeah right yeah, so it's it's definitely hooked me in which i don't know how most beetle fans feel I, I i'm sure that there is an argument i'm starting to realize that there's probably an argument for a lot of people on what's the best album right like everybody's going to have something they're feeling i don't on, believe on i don't is. believe there's an argument no <laughs> I, I know <laughs> the right answer <laughs> but it's interesting for me to have a like yellow submarine <laughs> my biggest um you know, my, my biggest uh, Beatles knowledge or, or schooling, if you want to say, was like on this last album. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, so it, it's kind of interesting. And I have like now a certain appreciation, but like I've gone back and and been putting it on. We've, we've just been playing it in the house for like the last week and a half, two yeah. weeks straight. Um, yeah. Just playing whatever we can. And like it, it's really nice that my kids are starting to be like really excited when they hear things like... Um, you know, like Let It Be or uh, Yellow Submarine or something like that. You know, they're, they're super excited to hear the music come on. And they're like, oh, I like this one. Uh, or Hey Jude, especially. Last half of Hey Jude, they can yeah. sing um, with without a problem. But it, it's it's just really neat that, uh, I don't know, what what it's done. I, I guess, like, I'm, I'm excited that now I really do have that appreciation for the Beatles that, like, I just never had the opportunity to dig in and, and really – see it and get, get into it and all you really got was you got maybe an album and a half because a yeah. lot of the things that they touched on in the documentary they didn't even put on that album right so a lot of it yeah. went into abbey road did that come out after so abbey road came out i was out, gonna ask that because i saw they did like, it was like they, four they, months they were later. messing with yeah. maxwell's um maxwell's silver hammer yeah. they were doing like a couple other songs and i'm like are they writing them right now or are they just jamming? So they recorded Let It Be. Okay. They recorded Abbey Road. They released Abbey Road. First? Okay. And then they yeah. released Let It Be. Okay. Right. I'm glad we talked about it because I was like, I feel like they're writing this song right now, but it's not on the album. Yeah. It's on yeah. Abbey Road. So, like, are they working it out still? Did that come out? Or Okay. So that makes a lot of sense. I think they were always just goofing around trying to figure it out, you know? Mm -hmm. And... I, and just to be clear, Revolver is the best record, just as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah, it's so crazy. I've, I've actually watched a couple documentaries now. I went back and watched, um, I, I forget what the name of it was, but I watched another one where it was, it, was, um, it was kind of on everything, and there was a lot of footage from Get Back on it. It was the one that was, doc, uh, that was done by uh, Ron Howard, I think. Yeah, Anthology. Um, yeah, and it anthology. was kind of like yeah, yeah. Uh, the, uh, the touring years, right? And then I started watching the one with Paul McCartney and um, Rick Rubin. I didn't see that one. Yeah, that one's really cool because he's got like a mixer out and they're playing yeah. all these songs. And I forget which one it was. Um, was it uh, Guitar Gently Weeps? I forget. But like they pull down like all the all the other instruments and you're just getting Paul's bass and like how rugged it is compared to like, you know, 
um, the melodies and everything that's so soft about the guitar and everything. Like it was such a, a really neat experience to um, to see them break it down that way, and and for Paul to even be like, "Man, I've never heard it like this. I never realized like how different." this layer of the song was versus this layer it was it was really interesting i'd recommend that i'll have to check that yeah. out yeah so i guess we should get into the toast because i, 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 I was know gonna we say were, was that your toast what no you it wasn't i just okay. I, we we were texting back and forth about it right. you know over the last week or whatever and and i just wanted to make sure that we followed up on it but what did you think of it 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 took me a good probably that first episode just to adjust to accents <laughs> did you do did you do subtitles i had to do subtitles. i didn't yeah, I had to do something, and it was a mistake. Yeah. I should yeah. have. I should have started subtitles. Yeah, I like the subtitles. It they helps. put them up for some it of the helps. stuff, but other yeah. stuff to watch. Let it be, and I, the way I described it was fall out of Paul's hands. Mm-hmm. It, it is you can't describe that. To watch him figure out the chords to don't let me or uh, to get back. Yeah. On bass, yeah, <laughs> which is just like, why are you playing the just humming stuff? Bass? <laughs> to yeah. watch that to him, wild. He didn't write that song; he discovered it. To right. watch that was just it fell out of him. It fell out. Well, and you know, what he, there was a great there's a great interview with Paul on Howard Stern, and he talks about how they couldn't come up with the words, so they just used the word scrambled eggs. So like scrambled eggs scrambled eggs scrambled eggs scrambled eggs and 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 john came in and was like oh i think that works i think that's what we should do (laughs) he's like no no i have better words he's like no 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 this is fine (laughs) you know so there's so much more that i want to know to their story now like what led up to them being in that position why tensions were so high you know what i mean they're all friggin' geniuses and they battled that i'm sure yeah that it's such a crazy thing like and and to think and then for me, like not knowing a lot of the Beatles catalog, but then when I hear things that came out so long ago, you know, like in the 60s, and for them to remind me of more modern songs, I'm, I, I kind of realized how influential they were. You know what yes. I mean? Where it's like, yes. man, like they were probably doing things. There was like, you know, maybe I'm going to say limited styles of music or you know, it just hadn't evolved as many times as it has in, in, in our lifetime. So, like, to to hear those things and be like, man, that kind of reminds me of something, like, in the 90s or 2000s, like, knowing that they influenced so much over uh, or such a, um, you know, a long period of time is just incredible to see them, like, doing that for the first time and knowing it eventually led to this or that or the other. And the fact that the oldest one of them was 28 at the time right yeah, yeah. that's crazy that's insane that and that george, they had already george they, george is the oldest i thought george was the youngest i i, I yeah that, sorry george is the youngest maybe yeah. paul but the, paul's the oldest the way yeah. that that um yeah it, it's just crazy to think that they had cranked out how many hundreds of songs hundreds. probably and they're like we're gonna make this album like let's just go back to some of the stuff like me and john were jamming yeah, you know, and then they in, just in high school play that stuff like it's just in the back of their heads. Like, yeah, hey, why don't we play this? And we'll play it without opening our mouths for one song. Yeah, <laughs> insanity, insanity. I want to know when they hit the drugs though, because there were a couple of scenes India. like they would cut. Yeah, and then yeah. You'd come back, and there was definitely some bloodshot I, I was, eyes going on. Yeah, I was watching <laughs> that that documentary, and they were talking about there was a reporter that got assigned to follow them, 
and he was following through like their first couple albums and touring and how like after this album or whatever it was the first time that he like walked into a room and they were like they had bloodshot eyes and they were high on marijuana you know what i mean and like how like that was just such a shock for him uh and and you know i think there was definitely a change but i don't know just insane i'm so happy now that that the Beatles have kind of finally made their entry into my life, but we've got to get to, uh, to the toast. So I want to say, Oh, I came up with an idea. Burnt toast, burnt toast are the negative ideas. Oh, that's a good idea. I yeah. Like that. I like calling that burnt toast. <laughs> you got some burnt toast. I came up. Yeah. So, um, there's a couple things that I want to, I want to get off my chest. Let's say first is if you were, if you're not watching F1, if you're not an F1 fan, the last se- the last race of the season is on Sunday. If you're on the East Coast, it's going to air 8 a.m. So wake up in the morning, 8 a.m. ESPN2. It's the last race of the season. The top two drivers are tied for points right now. It's it's going to be an epic finish. Um, and, of course, I'm going to say it again. I've probably said it on a few of the last podcasts. Watch Drive to Survive on um on netflix and and they're coming out with the with a new season for this season of f1 and like i can't imagine how like how how anticipated this season is like i'm excited for it i think that's going to be huge so basically whoever win whoever finishes ahead of the other one is going to win the championship yeah yeah and there's a a weird thing if somebody gets the fastest lap and they both finish like ninth, tenth, or something but But that's probably not going to happen but if they crash each other out max technically wins because he's he's won more races so it's like one of those things like you're tied for first yeah you've got the same amount of wins but you've won more in your conference or something like that you know but they those guys came out and said if you crash that guy on purpose we can take points yeah so there might take chances we'll see what happens but the the two michael schumacher tactics going on here exactly (laughs) so hopefully um, it's just like a finish where they're both racing at the end together you know yeah i think they should just let the two of them race by themselves for sure that'd be be (laughs) less exciting though yeah (laughs) but like if anybody watched the last race the way that esteban ocon and and valdery batas were you know they're fighting for third and it was literally down to the last stretch of them kind of being neck to neck. It was really exciting. It'd be really cool to see something like that happen, but who knows for sure what'll happen. My, my two. So anyway, watch the F1 race. If you can, the, my, my two, um, toasts that I really have is one, there's a, uh, a movie that I found out about that, uh, I've been in contact with the director and producer and, um, it's pretty exciting. There's a there's a project called Bottle Conditioned. So look up Bottle Conditioned on Facebook and YouTube and Instagram. Um, it's a documentary that they're making that's all about bottle conditioned um, wild fermentation lambic beers. So I know it looks like they've got Cantillon, mm-hmm. they've got uh, Dre Fontaine and, and all of these uh, really cool, you know, breweries that are into that style and, and why that style is, is so um you know, is at least popular now and, and what the history is behind it. It looks really fascinating. Um, it looks like they're going to be a, uh, a guest upcoming, but um, look them up online, bottle conditioned film on uh, Facebook and Instagram and all that stuff. Cause that's, that project is coming soon. They're actually crowdfunding to do um, raise funds for post-production, but the trailer they released looks really cool. Yeah. It looks well done. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really excited to see that. And um also from fueled, uh, fueled by Hops, 
which is a fantastic um, beer community that's out of um, out of the Berg. Of, yeah, the Pittsburgh area. Ryan, who runs that group, we've had on the podcast a couple of times. He had his first kid this week, and uh, I don't think it was an easy process. I think there was an early uh, induction. And a long labor process, so I know that was probably pretty crazy um, for your first kid, but uh, toast to Ryan as well. Uh, congratulations on your firstborn, and uh, very excited for you, and uh, cheers to everybody in the uh, the Fueled, Fueled by Hops family. Thanks for your support. Cheers. Cheers. Uh, so my toast this week, um, the reason I was late, uh, I don't know if you told these guys or not, I was at a, uh, a viewing for my uh, good friend in high school. His father passed away. He was also my eighth grade history teacher. Mm. Um, just a great guy. Just yeah. a great guy. Um, quick story, uh, my friend Tony and I, we were, we were probably about 15. We weren't 16 yet because we couldn't drive. Mm-hmm. And we were talking to these two girls from a, a town over in Downingtown. We were in Coatesville. And um, they did not have their license. Yeah. Um, we somehow convinced them to acquire their parents' car. <laughs> they had their driver's <laughs> permits, but not their license. Yeah, yeah. And had them drive over to see us. So we're at his house, and and we convinced them of this, and they come over, and <laughs> they're pulling up to the house. Yeah. And we're standing out by the curb to, to greet them. And as these uh, two young ladies pull up to the curb, they hit the curb and popped the front tire. Psst. No. <laughs> no. We have no idea Oops. how to change a tire. Yeah, right? So Tony's dad had to come out and change the tire for these poor girls, who's the father of the one of the girls is a uh, was a surgeon that was on call, so the car had to be returned yeah. quickly. Yep. Tony's dad came out, who had just gotten through some food poisoning oh geez <laughs> to, ch- <laughs> to change the tire for these two young ladies yeah. what a trooper and he had this he had this booming voice and and as they left he said i do believe that you gentlemen got those two ladies in quite a bit of trouble <laughs> <laughs> but uh but he was one of the good ones so toast to uh mr seto henry cheers, cheers. to you <laughs> It was a uh, it was a nice night to get out and see. Uh, definitely had like a little mini high school reunion there with a, a bunch of the uh, different people that we had over. You guys have anything? You got any quick toast you want to give to anybody? Um, th- well, uh, one of the regulars in our tap room, Robin Vashon, um, she uh, went in for multiple uh, spine fusion surgery today. Um, and she she's out now. It looks like she everything went well. So I uh, want to do a cheers for Robin. Um, cheers, Robin. Yeah, I'm glad she's, she, she's doing well and hopefully for a speedy recovery. Matthew, you got one? You got anything up your sleeve there? <laughs> sure. Um, I, I don't generally do a lot of cheers. I'm going to cheers to, uh, I'm going to cheers to my dad. Uh, he passed away this year and, uh, he would be super proud of our Beatles discussion during this beer <laughs> podcast. And, uh, I, I don't know that my siblings are still listening, but I hope that they're raising their glasses to him. Yeah. It's always good. We always like to mix in a little bit of some kind of other discussion with our beer. 
Absolutely. Little I mean, we didn't even start talking about the Grateful Dead, but that's just because of Kelsey. <laughs> he, he doesn't want me to get into that. <laughs> I saw them once live. <laughs> I just got into the Beatles. I, I got to have some more time to get into the Dead. Yeah, give them a couple months. <laughs> I mostly went because Sting warmed up for them. So uh, I saw that I tour. <laughs> I was also at that tour. <clears throat> nice. I, I feel like we need um, to uh, figure, like, put scientists on the job of figuring out how like a few pints turn into six gallons of urine. It's a, it's, <laughs> it's definitely it. There needs to be a conversion like the, the four feet of farmland. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right yeah. Exactly. Gotta be some kind of formula. <laughs> Doesn't make any sense. You guys got any toast, anything yeah. you want to do? That's a, they that's gave a us, different kind of shit. They did it already? Yeah. They gave us a little toast. Did they? They did. Awesome. We did our toast. Appreciate you guys. You ready to wrap it up? Wrap it up. All right, here we go. If uh, first off, Kelsey Matthew, thank you so much for Thanks, hanging guys. out with thank us. You. It was such a pleasure and an honor uh, to finally get to talk to the people behind the beers that we've had. Um, please, guys, go online, uh, go to exhibitabrewing.com, uh, order some beer, get it shipped right to your door. If you took the time to watch us online, to listen to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform, we really, really appreciate you. Uh, make sure you're following us on all the social media platforms. Uh, keep an eye out. We've got a lot of really exciting stuff. We've got Frunk Brewing out of Emmaus, uh, PA, coming up. Coming up. We're going to be doing, hopefully, a bottle condition film. We'll be talking to those guys as well. So a lot of really cool stuff coming up. Uh, so make sure you're following us. But thanks again so much, everybody listening, you guys, for, uh, for joining us and giving us this fantastic content. It's been such a pleasure. And uh, let's stay in touch. I'm hoping one of the next times I come up to the uh, Massachusetts area, I'll hit you guys up and stop by. And uh, I'd love to to see the place and uh, maybe crack a beer with you. It'd be amazing. Absolutely. But thank you guys again so much. And uh, everybody listening, we'll talk to you next time. Peace. Thank you.